One Week Season. OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, merry, happy 2022, New Year's Day 2022, let's go. We're going to be talking week 17 NFL DFS. We are going to do the same thing we usually do of note. We are bringing Michael, Mr. Mikey Johnson, on board this week. He is going to be joining us here shortly, uh, and we're going to hear all the good things that he has to say. He's been crushing it in them right in the streets, so excited to hear what he has to say here on the pod uh, this week. We sent out a round of, quickly before we start, we sent out a round of um, the missions winners. Uh, so winners have been starting to see some of those emails populating in their inboxes. I know uh, at least two that have been identified as winning um, a one-on-one coaching session, two-hour one-on-one coaching session with myself. So uh, look for those. That is exciting. Uh, the OWS missions, first year doing those. So uh, be on the lookout for those. I know announcements are coming soon as well. That said, we're going to start this week off by talking a little bit that has been really, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit in the end around, but it's been really kind of burning a hole in my mind this week. Um, and it's kind of a shame that it took me this long to really work through this. Um, but that's variance and specifically how it relates to COVID and what we've been seeing this season. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to bring in real quick, uh, bring in X and Mikey. How we doing, boys? Doing well, doing well. Excited to be here. I've uh, we've chatted a lot in the Discord and whatnot this year, but I think this is the first time I've uh, actually gotten to have a, a discussion with you guys. So excited about it. That's awesome. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm excited for another crazy NFL slate. Um, and yeah, super excited to meet Mike. <laughs> I've never actually spoken to Mike like with my voice, like a real right. human. Um, so this is really cool. It's awesome to to get a chance to you know meet and chat with and pick the brain of uh, you know another one of our amazing contributors. And by the way, I'm just gonna pitch this. If you haven't seen it in the scroll. Uh, Mike wrote an afternoon-only uh, slate guide, um, slate write-up, which I think uh, I thought was super awesome, super sharp. Um, and you know, one of the things we talk about at OWS a lot is this concept of every edge matters, right? I mean, we're playing. Um, you know, there's there's narrow edges in DFS, and there are edges, but they're not enormous ones anymore. And so. So every edge you can find is material and important. And you know, I've I've loved the the early only and afternoon only slates for a long time because most players just tend to kind of they, they focus on main slate and they very quickly you know then write uh, then make something for early only or afternoon only. And so I think there's more edge on those slates than on main slate. And so I love that we're adding that as a test to our sort of content library and you know thanks for for writing it mike i think it's awesome i loved what you wrote in there um if you haven't seen it go check it out and if it's something you like you know let us know yeah it was it was interesting to dig into i you know i just for my edge games i just said to aaron hey just i'll take all the afternoon ones and try to write something up and see if subs like it but i mean to your point even me and i play a decent amount of both those smaller slates and like a lot of mine like i don't think like i think deeply about it in over like an hour or two time period 
but like I don't really like sit down beforehand and think about it until like this was kind of the the deepest I had dug in on my own, like separate from what I do with the main slate. So, um, and my biggest win actually was on an afternoon only slate last year, week seventeen. So. Um, yeah, one year, oh, man, one year anniversary again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's an interesting point too, particularly for the afternoon only slate, because a large, a large part of that field is like players who their main slate rosters are already done, and they're like, "Shit, I want more action," so they throw something into the afternoon only slate. Um, so a lot less preparation goes into typical after on- afternoon only slates. Uh, so that's awesome that we're starting to add that again to echo something X said. Uh, if you're liking that, if you like what is going on uh, with the little expansions that are going on, let us know. Hit the feedback channel. Shoot Aaron a DM. Um, shoot me a DM. Shoot any you know the contributors a DM. Let us know uh, what you're liking, what you think we can do better, because we're here for you, basically. We are here to provide the best product that we can. And a lot of the times, what goes into that is taking on board and, and internalizing what you guys are saying. So uh, definitely hit us up. Uh, with that, boys, let's talk real quick about some variant stuff. So really, I was working through like what the hell is going on with variants in particular with this season. And this is has been hands down the most variant season of NFL DFS that I can remember. And I've been playing this for six, seven years now. So um, a lot of that is kind of internal to the environment that we have with the NFL, obviously with COVID, um, with moving pieces with NFL teams with um, a lot of stuff going on. But a lot of that is kind of material and um, I guess has to do with the state of the NFL is changing, right? We're moving away from the era of the workhorse running back. Um, the The biggest thing in that kind of mindset and, and talking about what's changing in the NFL is we know that, you know, over the past two or three seasons, we've seen NFL teams transition to a more pass-heavy approach, well, now defenses are finally working through you know, how to best combat that. We're seeing more cover two. We're seeing more too high. We're seeing more prevent defenses with respect to you know, paying particular attention to shutting down opposing pass games. It's taken probably 12, 13, 14 weeks for the offenses now to adjust to how the defenses have been changing. So all of that kind of comes together to make this season, like really we have no idea like what the hell's going on. The last piece that I kind of want to really, that I was really working through this week is the lack of information that we really have regarding COVID. So like I hinted at this a little bit again in the end around, but like two players have come out, I guess three players now have come out over the last two weeks particularly and said like, yo, COVID really messed me up. I lost this amount of weight. We had Allen Robinson say he lost 10 pounds. We had Tyler Lockett say he lost a bunch of weight. We had Tyreek Hill say he lost a bunch of weight. So we really don't know, like before slates kick off, how these players' bodies are responding to COVID. So that introduces a good deal of variance in and of itself. Um, You know, I was super heavy on Tyreek Hill last week. He came back and played 42% of the offensive snaps because his body was absolutely devastated by COVID. So all of that kind of comes into a head to increase all like the variants kind of across the board that we're seeing in the NFL. And we're going to talk about how to approach that, how to internalize that and develop a, you know, a best practices game plan to attack that. 
but first, I kind of want to hear from uh, Mike, and then I'll throw it over to X. What are you What are you seeing as like a an optimal means of approach uh, for attacking variants uh, this season, particularly late in the season with this kind of round of COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think staying on top of things obviously is is important, but like. To your point, you brought up Tyreek and Robinson and Lockett. And the thing I look at, and, like, from my coaching background and stuff, and, like, I played a bunch of Tyreek, too, so it's not like – it's more. this is more of, like, a, an, in hindsight, like, it makes a ton of sense to me. Um, is Like, we're not going to know exactly what symptoms everyone has, but these guys who are getting cleared on Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, – that aren't getting to practice. So like when they're with COVID, whether they they have bad symptoms or not, like once they're cleared, like to me, they're like, okay, symptoms pretty much should be cleared up. Um, but it's the sitting at home for five or 10 days and then not practicing. And especially when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill, you think about what he, what they ask of him, how much he's moved around the formation, you know, the routes he runs, you know, he covers a lot of ground across the field and down the field. Um, it makes sense that, like, if he was sitting at home for a week, like, he'd be pretty gassed pretty quick. And I actually think, in hindsight, it makes sense. I actually probably heard him that Kelsey was out. Because then he's running all over and he's out of gas and he's getting all this extra attention. Um, so I think just understanding, like, for every player... Every situation is different. I think people a lot of times want like a like a hard and fast answer for how do you deal with this whatever problem, but like it's such a fluid thing and every situation's different. Like this week I look at like Mike Evans, like coming off a hamstring injury, which is easily aggravated. He's got a history of those. In practice all week he was um activated off COVID yesterday. Like they're playing the Jets, like it just seems like he's not with that little practice time, like not going to push that guy. If you're, if you're the coach and you're trying to win a Super Bowl, like I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just inactive because um, a guy who's out of shape with it coming off a hamstring injury, that's like asking for an aggravation. Um, a guy like Carson Wentz though, like can design things in a way where he doesn't have to, um, you know, his, uh, Conditioning doesn't have to be as big of a deal because he's still going to touch the ball every play. Like if he's out there, he's out there. They don't have to design things where he has to run all the time. They can, you know, play at a slower pace with JT. So I just think the position and role that guys play and paying attention to like when they're cleared. So like Tyreek played last Sunday. He was bad, but like he's a world class athlete. Had a, a week of practice. Kelsey was cleared and practiced full Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like. Those guys I don't really have concerns about. It's these guys who have roles that ask a lot of them um, their their aerobic capacity. Um, and then they're do, trying to do it on like little to no practice time. I think that's, um, that's stuff that we can kind of find actionable info on. Like we're not going to know if dude had the, the sniffles or if he was like you know, on the couch for two days. So... Um, that's kind of my take on it. I dig it. X, how are you kind of 
internalizing and, and developing a game plan to attack the, the additional variants due to COVID this year. So my perspective here is, and I say this a lot in Discord, I'm not a doctor, right? Like, I have no way of evaluating the degree to which someone is healthy or unhealthy. Like, my general assumption is if a guy is active, uh, I assume that teams are generally both smart and fairly cautious and will not have a guy active unless they are confident in his health. Um, but I think that with COVID, what we've seen is it increases the volatility of the play. And and so that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like what I think is that there's there's a, if you imagine the mathematical distribution of outcomes, right? Like it looks sort of like a bell curve-ish for most players. Um, and if you increase, I, I think it increases the standard deviation to the low end. Like, you know, having COVID isn't gonna make your ceiling higher, <laughs> nor is it gonna make your floor lower. It just makes that, that means the distribution of scores within that range is likely to be uh, more volatile than in a sort of a more traditional normal distribution. Um, so I think there's, there's just, there's wider ranges of outcomes for players who are coming back from COVID. Um, and I'm actually kind of thinking, like thinking through, does, should, does this just apply to all injuries in general? And I, I kind of think actually, yeah. Um, maybe we, maybe I should view it that way. And to me, one of my sort of basic maxims of DFS play is play highly volatile plays at low ownership and do not play them at high ownership, right? Like a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a classic highly volatile play. I mean, as long as Devontae Adams is there, right? Like he's, he's primarily a deep threat receiver. Uh, he's not going to get a ton of targets, um, but he can catch an 80-yard touchdown on any one of those targets because he's fast um, and runs deep routes. And so a guy like that is a guy that I don't want to play him if he's going to be 20 or 30 or 40% owned. Um, I want to play him when he's 2% owned or 3% owned, right? Like I want, if I'm embracing that volatility, I want to get paid off when I'm right. And if a guy is super chalky, uh, then you're not really going to get paid off when you're right. You're just going to kind of keep up. And so if the field is going to use highly volatile plays at high ownership, uh, I will cross my fingers and hope they fail um, or hope they don't, you know, don't smash uh, and drag down a large percentage of rosters with them. So like that's my general approach to what I consider all highly volatile plays. And I've just sort of started mentally bucketing, you know, guys coming back from COVID in that highly volatile list. But I think there's something to what Mike said about practice. Um, and I fell for this in week 15 when I played a decent amount of Miles Gaskin. And Miles Gaskin had come off the COVID list. And I think, he, but I don't think he practiced. I think he, he either practiced one day or didn't practice at all. I think he didn't practice at all. And that was the week then that Duke Johnson went nuts. Um, and then, you know, because he, you know, and there's, there's some other stuff going on with Miles Gaskin. It's not a perfect example because like Miles Gaskin's a guy who hasn't been super successful as a runner and the Dolphins keep like signing other running backs, which shows a lack of confidence in him. Um, but like the, the lack of practice is when his role just dropped off a cliff. Um, and so even though he came back, like, I think it's when they're cleared in the week is somewhat relevant as well, right? Like if they're cleared, you know, Monday and they practice in full the whole week, like Travis Kelsey, then I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, not much concern. You know, if they're just coming off the COVID list late in the week and they don't get a lot of practice and maybe like that just introduces more volatility to me. And again, that doesn't mean they can't hit. It doesn't, I'm not trying to predict, are they healthy or not? I'm just trying to say, I think there's more, there's a wider range of outcomes for this player than they normally have. And so if they're going to be really highly owned, I would rather look elsewhere. And I think that is where my conclusion ended up as well. Um, factoring in ownership on these COVID players coming back from COVID uh, and obviously weighing, you know, when they came back and, and all that kind of stuff. But like, we have no idea like how this virus is affecting players. 
All we know is via the new and updated COVID protocols, they can come back if they self-report that their symptoms are improving, regardless of vaccination status. So like, that's a, that's a very wide range of outcomes uh, as yeah, like, far as... Like Carson you know, Wentz tomorrow just can't have a fever pretty much, like, and he's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's like all, that's the... That's the bar he has to get over to play. It's very different than what we've seen all season. Yeah. So I'm I'm personally waiting expected ownership a lot heavier for guys coming back on COVID. Prime's examples of kind of like who fits that bill this week. Um, probably the you know the pinnacle example of what we're trying to talk about here and what we're trying to convey um, would probably be Brandon Cooks coming back this week. He was activated off the COVID list. He got in one practice and he's expected for 15 to 20% ownership. So that is a guy that like I, the, you know, after going through these past three weeks where COVID has kind of run rampant and learning these lessons and, and reflecting and trying to identify what the hell's going on, that is a guy that I'm personally willing to full fade this week on a week like this where he has missed ton of practice he went on the COVID list he's coming back in time for the game but we have no idea and he's expected to garner pretty significant ownership this week so um, other guys kind of in that same vein Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis are coming back off the COVID list they are both unvaccinated which is supposedly obviously um, expected to have worse symptoms somebody who is vaccinated it's supposed to last a little bit longer uh but th- those are two guys who are coming back from a you know extended stay on the COVID list. Um, they are not expected to garner the same amount of ownership, but that is kind of the same grouping of players. You know, coming back of COVID, coming back from COVID, playing wide receiver, where they're going from stationary to a full sprint repeatedly over and over in contests. So I would guess that those guys are going to see decreased snap rates this week. I would guess that they would be more winded. I would guess that they won't, wouldn't be as crisp. So something, uh, I guess, to kind of keep in mind as the week goes on. Any parting shots, gents, on the kind of the variance and COVID discussion here real quick? I will just throw out, because I don't want to get into the whole story of the thought process and all this, but like, if you haven't, I'd suggest listening to my reflections video from the last week because I talk about, I played Tyreek Hill on a main roster, um, and then I didn't play him at all in afternoon-only slates, which kind of touches on the af- the afternoon-only slate strategy that Mike was talking about, and also touches on kind of the COVID situation. So there's kind of I don't want to rehash it all because it's lengthy, but there's more in there. I think the I think Hilo made a, a really good points on like the Bills situation, like especially with McKenzie played so well last week, and in the edge write-up you talked about how they're likely to do more two tight end set. Uh, uh, or personnel in, in this matchup. And um, McKenzie just smashed last week. Like, if you're the Bills, you got these two guys coming off COVID, why wouldn't you be rotating them? So I think, like, it kind of dings all of their projections. And, like, the Cooks, and Cooks is a classic example. Like, I mean, he could still have a decent game, but at his ownership, like, and at his price, is he really going to... It's not like you can't win without him. So, like, what's it's not really worth the risk, I guess. I have so, played a lot point, of Brandon Cooks this year. Like, I've probably played more Brandon <laughs> Cooks than most people in this Discord. Is my oh, guess. me too, me too, me too. And, <laughs> but highly, I know Hilo has all of the best ball. And I will say, I am currently projected as the fourth highest in wide receiver for one of the mm-hmm. worst teams in the NFL against one of the NFL's better defenses on the road. 
episode coming back from COVID, like everything about that just all sounds horrible to me. Yeah. And to your point, like it's a 14 game slate. Like this is the second largest slate we're going to see all year. And, you know, my general thought process on the slate in general, like there's just so many teams this week, in my opinion, that I'm just like not even considering anyone from because it's like, yeah, I could probably find a guy who will get 15 to 20 points, but like risk of him tanking a roster is, is greater than like the odds of me being like, well, can't win. Cause I didn't have that guy. So, um, and I think cooks kind of falls in that bucket. Yeah. The last player that I'll mention kind of in along those same line of thinking is, um, Deontay Harris from the saints who is gaining steam around, not only OWS, but the industry. He is coming off of three missed games due to suspension. And then, oh, by the way, when he's coming off of suspension for falsifying his COVID card, he got COVID. So he hasn't... The, he the irony. Yeah, exactly. So he hasn't practiced in, in a good deal of time. Uh, and now he got COVID, and now he's gaining steam as a player min-priced expecting to garner ownership. So uh, just a lot... You know, I'm not sitting here saying, like, don't play, but like my personal thought process is I want to be underweight or full fade these guys uh, in this particular situation. All right. Yeah, he's I'm like just a... here laughing because I hadn't heard the uh, Deontay Harris story <laughs> about the card. I think he's oh, yeah. like, a, if he makes everything else work, if he's the last piece, like you can stomach it if the rest, like, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at it too. He was just Friday was activated, so. Yeah. All right, boys, that was a lengthy introduction, but I, I really wanted to get those thoughts out uh, with respect to variance, how we handle things, how to smartly position yourself um, in unknown situations. Uh, with that being said, let's jump into this slate. I'm going to go to both of you uh, to give me your macro thoughts on the slate. How are you seeing things? Uh, and then I'll chime in. We'll go to X first on this one. X, how are you seeing the slate from a macro perspective, Bretta? Okay, so let's start with the basics. It's big, right? And what that means to me is it means ownership tends to get spread out, um, which I'm seeing in in ownership projections right now. I have three wide receivers projected over 20% ownership, four running backs, so that's seven, um, no tight ends. So it's it's, it's seven skill position players, 20% plus ownership, and normally it's about nine, 10 or so in that range. So we're seeing ownership get more spread out. on a really big slate, it also makes me want to personally shy away from the chalk a little bit more because, and Mike mentioned something here too, right? Like there's a lot of guys out there who could have decent games, um, but it means that there's, it's less likely that any one player is going to be a must have because there are so many other options out there. Like there's so many guys out there who could have strong games that it's, you know, the number of players who could truly break the slate is small. Um, and so like, you know, if Cooper Cup is 25% owned on an eight-game slate, that's very different than if he's 25% owned on a you know 14-game slate, right? Like, there's just more guys out there who could beat him. Um, there's two clear highest total games that are pretty widely separated from the rest. Um, but interestingly, it doesn't look like ownership is flocking to those games, which is kind of in, which is interesting to me and and kind of odd. Like the two highest total games, right? Dallas, Arizona, and and Bengals, Chiefs. Um, and if you look at like the highest owned quarterbacks, which is, you know, there's skill position player ownership all over the place, but like the highest owned quarterbacks, 
Uh, Dak is the only one uh, of those four quarterbacks who's over 10% projected right now. Um, so people aren't really flocking to those those two main game environments, which is interesting. So like the way I'm seeing it is, you know, there's two clear top game environments, and there's a few others that we'll talk about that are that are good game environments that could contend for the, the title of top by the end of the day. Um, but people aren't really flocking to them. There's, and I, I think again, we're seeing this like this search for perceived certainty um, <clears throat> where we have a lot of ownership on guys that might not be in spots that are quite as good as the field is thinking. Brandon Cooks is a good example of that, as we just talked about. Um, there's some running backs that I think are okay plays, but are attracting ownership that are that is i think unwarranted on such a large slate where there's so many viable plays so like what i the way i'm approaching it and again like i'm doing mme this week because yahoo just keeps handing out free money every week and so i'm going to keep taking their free money um the way i'm approaching it is you know i'm looking i'm not trying to find like the one percent owned guy necessarily i'm not trying to play like you know the backup running back or something ridiculous like that but i do think there's a lot of opportunity to find really good plays at lower ownership than normal um, because the field is sort of congregating around these areas of perceived certainty and i think that's that's a theme we've been seeing this whole season right is as as more and more uncertainty kind of kind of comes into play through through injuries and, and mainly through COVID, um, we're seeing the field flock to where it perceives perceives there to be certainty, um, but where I'm not sure there in fact is. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna be willing to embrace the lack of certainty. I love it, baby. Variance, embrace it, accept it, love it, leverage it. Mikey, how are you viewing this slate from a macro perspective? Um, am I alright? Aaron said last time I was a little scratchy. Yeah, yeah it's coming are. across a little scratchy, but... Okay. Um... Alright, uh, I'll give it a shot. Let me know if it gets too bad. Um, but yeah, I think I think X touched on, on a lot of really good things. I mean, my... I kind of alluded to it before with... Um, there's just a lot of spots that are easy stay-away spots, and such a big slate that I think that um, it'll just always, you know, they're looking for reasons to be different instead of reasons to be good a lot of times. Um, they want uh, you know, to, to find the, the shiny, the, you know, that, that one guy that they can say, oh yeah, this guy was super low, no one would have seen him play. And I just think everything gets so spread out. Um, you know, there's a couple clear uh, kind of best uh, spots to attack. You know, there's you know, there's teams that, you know, it's not at the point where teams are out of the playoff race um, or or where they're, uh, they have like clinched, they have nothing to play for and they're in the playoffs, I guess, is, is what I should say. Um, so I think like from a macro perspective, like there's just a few games that I'm targeting really heavily and kind of finding different ways to build around them. Um, that's kind of in general, my approach is, is finding ways to be unique in good spots rather than trying to convince myself of ways uh, to play bad spots. Yeah, I think this is very much a week where we're hunting for teams that can score four to five touchdowns, right? Because we really don't have the, the game environments that are so clear and above the rest. Um, obviously the field is going to gravitate heavily towards Arizona and Dallas as the highest game total. 
but even that has clear paths to failure that I don't think um, the field is necessarily going to consider, uh, and we definitely need to be. Um, we'll talk about some game environments now, uh, but basically the, the theme of the week for me is with ownership expected to be so spread out, with there being no clear game environment, um, and with uh, there being two very clear pay-up options uh, with Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup, and then with there being very clear value options from the field, and this is from an ownership perspective, you know, Braxton Berrios uh, and a couple of other, and then basically the running back position as a whole, because there's a slew of options, 6,500 and below, uh, that we'll talk about here shortly, that the field is heavily gravitating to. So from those two perspectives, we know that Chalk is going to gravitate towards those two payup guys. We know that Chalk is going to gravitate towards the perceived value at the running back position. And there is value at the running back position because a lot of these guys are just materially underpriced for the role that they're going to have. Um, and then with you know a very select few pieces uh, of pass-catching value, Braxton Berrios, we have a few tight ends that we'll talk about here later. Uh, that's going to lead to... Lead to the field over emphasizing certainty when there isn't certainty. So I will be embracing variance. We'll talk about how we're going to be doing that here shortly. Uh, and then I'll be targeting heavily these teams that have the best chance of scoring four to five touchdowns. Uh, and we'll talk about those teams here shortly as well. I dig it. I'm going to do a mic check with, uh, with Mike actually <laughs> real quick. Come back on. Let's you guys, can you guys hear me? That's much better. Yeah, that's All much right. better. Deal. Okay. Sorry about that. Nope, nope. Good to go, brother. Uh, all right. We're going to transition over to talking about some of these game environments. And I, I first want to go around the room and find out if there's any games that you are basically removing entirely. Um, obviously, we know that that is kind of what we're looking to do and kind of the theme behind OWS is we want to like narrow things as much as we can uh, while allowing variance to work in our favor. But um, I'll go to uh, to Mike here first. Are there any games on this massive fourteen game slate that you're kind of like removing from your pool entirely? Yeah, um, and I kind of do this early in the week. It's one of my like earlier process points. Is like um, it's you know pretty basic. Like on Sunday nights during the Sunday night game, I I actually do this uh, process where I I look up I just look up what the games are the next week, and then I guess what. But I think the spread and total will be like, you know, the implied team totals and what that comes out to. And then I compare it to what I'm seeing and see, you know, oh, well, I'm higher on this game than it appears everyone else is. So that, you know, I look at it. Some people would be like, oh, I need to adjust my projections. But I look at it as this is how I feel about it. So I'm probably going to it's a way that I can just naturally be different by thinking for myself. Um, so like. I was shocked to like David Montgomery. I mean, I get the, I get the arguments for him, but like for me, the Giants Bears game, like thirty six team to or uh, game total, I'm I'm not gonna play any offensive players from that game. Um, the uh, uh, the Jaguars Patriots game, I have. There's one player that I really like, um, and otherwise, it's kind of a stay away for me. Um, Titans, Dolphins, uh, I, I understand. And I guess with the ownership, it makes some sense with like Waddle and AJ Brown, but I won't be going there just because with the size of the slate, like 
I, I just find I'm better off in the long run when I when I just trim the fat and I focus on on specific spots. Um, and I probably won't go to any Seahawks Lions um, except on uh, some afternoon only. I'll probably play like a um, a couple rust stacks with a swift bring back, but I won't play any of them on the main slate. Um, yeah, those are that. Those are pretty much the ones I. Uh, I also probably won't play um, anyone from the Eagles Washington game. Um, so you know, those are. I've got a few other individual teams that I'm uh, pretty much off of, but those are the, those games specifically. And I mean, it, they're like the lowest total game, so it's not. It's not anything earth shattering, but um, to me, just kind of crossing those off and and not even letting myself get tempted over the long haul saves me from myself a lot. Yeah, I love that. Um, and in the process of you going through those games, you highlighted uh, three of my top defensive targets, uh, defense special teams. So that kind of <laughs> validates some things uh, <laughs> between us here. Um, one, we'll, we'll cover it here shortly, uh, but I love that process of, and that's why I asked the question, of eliminating some games and, and making things appear a little bit better for us uh if we can um with that x are you eliminating any games or any sides of games um completely this week yeah i'm there's a few teams i won't be playing anything of there's only a couple games i won't be targeting at all um but there's a few teams i won't be playing any of so i'm kind i'm actually with uh mike on giants bears where like i get the david montgomery play I mean, he's his touch projection is robust. The matchup is good, um, but you still have a running back on a fairly dysfunctional offense that would be that would be fairly fortunate to get in the end zone twice, and is unlikely to get in the end zone three times. And so, from my perspective, he's also projecting as the highest owned play on the slate, like not running back play. Um, and so, for me, I, I think that's a spot like when the highest owned play on the slate comes from one of the comes from the lowest total game. And one of the lowest total teams on a on an inarguably bad team, like that's sort of a just flashing red warning signs all over the place. Where I'm willing to bet that he won't bury me. Um, <clears throat> I will not be playing any Jaguars. Uh, I will play. There's one Patriot I'm interested in. And I'm pretty sure it's the same one, Mike. Um, I probably won't play any Titans or Dolphins. Although I I, I see a case for Waddle and AJ Brown just as like very 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 talented receivers who are the alphas of their offense um i don't think i'll play any falcons um i don't think i'm going to play any raiders beyond foster moreau so i'm trying like i'm really trying to narrow things down um as much as i can no texans um probably no broncos probably no panthers i think that's about it where i am right now Like JM says this of, you know, look for who you're going to play, right? Like focus on who you are playing. Um, it's really easy. And I'm, I've, I fall victim to this all the time because I, because I'm doing, especially when I'm doing MME play, when I'm like, oh, I have 150 rosters to play with I'll I'll, you know, why not take a shot on this guy? Why not, not see if I can get, you know, maybe this guy has a good game. Like maybe anyone could have a good game, but like, if you, if you try to get exposure to everyone, like that way lies madness and all you're doing is costing yourself money uh, and you're, you're paying the rake in the long run. Yep. I love it. Uh, I'll add the Falcons to that list. Um, I had the Falcons in the list. 
Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I zoned out. I wasn't <laughs> listening to you, X. Damn it, I'm exposed. Rude. <laughs> fraud. What a fraud. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yep. Uh, with that out of the way, um, I am actually team stack up AJ Brown and Jalen Waddle. Uh, you probably got the sense of that um, from my writings this week. Um, and pretty much all of the other thoughts that were covered there can be summed up from my responses in the Oracle. Uh, I agree on Dave Montgomery. I will not be going there. I get the allure. I, and even in the end round, I put that he probably has the second highest touch to salary ratio on the slate. Uh, but if we look at that game environment. It is highly non-conducive. I don't know if I said that correctly, but it is not conducive to fantasy production. We have two defenses who are um, good in the red zone. We have two offenses who are two of the bottom three as far as red zone touchdown rate goes. Uh, so that game is an easy stay away. I will eliminate David Montgomery completely. Um, that's just making my process for me personally a little bit easier. Uh, I do. You, yeah. Um, you mentioned stacking up uh, Brown and AJ Brown and Waddle. The way I was thinking uh-huh. of that is personally, I would only play them together. I will not Correct. play one or the other individually on any roster. I can set a rule for my MME entries to do it that way. Is that how you're thinking of it as well? Yep, uh, that is how I'm thinking about it. I put as much in the Oracle, and then I was very surprised uh, to see JM kind of come to the same conclusions with that play. Um, and it's, it's very clear. The only way that that game uh, environment picks up is if one of these pass offenses sees success through the air, which in turn forces the other. Because from a likely scenario standpoint, that game is very, very conservative, right? Both of these offenses... Um, are very conservative to begin with. And then we have both of these defenses who are basically trying to uh, bleed the clock on offense and win the game, uh, or I should say make the game winnable uh, via their defense. So how does the game environment blow up? Well, it blows up either through A.J. Brown, who sets up extremely well in this spot because we know the Dolphins bring pressure a lot. We know that A.J. Brown is Tannehill's safety valve. He looks for A.J. Brown when he, uh, he is under pressure. And we know that um, the, the Titans' way of beating pressure is to get the ball out quick to A.J. Brown. Um, so if A.J. Brown, basically, I would think that this game comes down to the Titans to open up the game environment. And if that happens, uh, really with Jalen Waddle, we kind of have multiple outs because we know that he is such a massive portion of their offense to where he can hit even if their defense is cracking down, a.k.a. last week. Um, so there's, there's more outs in that play by playing them together than I think uh, a standard like correlated pairing would uh, or what you would think from a standard correlated pairing. So that's kind of why I like that play. I'm only playing them together if I'm playing them. Um, and that is also a nod to their uh, expected ownership. On top of that, they are not going to be played together heavily by the field. So uh, just a little leverage, uh, ownership, looking at ownership, and thinking through the likeliest ways where that game can turn into more than just a slugfest, basically. Would you, would you uh, play... So yeah. Do you play a quarterback with them too, or just the two of them? I would not play a quarterback because they are both such a large portion of their offense that they don't have to bring their quarterback with them. Like this game is not going to highly unlikely to open up into like these teams are just aggressively taking forth through the air. 
Um, and there are very little secondary options on each team to where like it, there's not going to be like multiple other secondary receivers that put up like 50 plus yards. So it's, there's very few paths to these quarterbacks mattering, but those two wide receivers in particular, because they're, you know, through COVID and through how these teams are built this late in the season, they're just such a large portion of their team's offense that I'm fine playing them alone. And I will not personally be looking to even include their quarterbacks in my player pool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that too. I just don't see the ceiling from Tua or Tannehill. I mean, yeah, last week, AJ had 34, 35 points. Tannehill had 14. Uh, Tua had 11 points and Waddle had 25. So yeah, I, you're, you sold me, Hilo. I'll probably have a little bit of exposure there. So yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It totally does. And they're like you said, they're um, such a huge portion of of what their team does. Um, I think that's uh, that's pretty sharp. That's that's uh, that's why you you do what you do, Hilo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, Brown saw 16 of 29 Tannehill, 16 targets of 29 Tannehill pass attempts last week. Um, Jalen Waddle was, oh God, where was he? He saw another double digit. He saw 12 targets of, uh, he saw 12 targets of 26 to a pass attempts. So that's what I'm saying that like these guys are just such a massive portion of their offense where like, game environments like strictly approaching this particular game from a game environment standpoint i think is is a mistake and furthermore both of them add a a you know a higher degree of certainty than i think we can find on the slate and then you kind of lump in the ownership piece where the combinatorial ownership of those two guys uh is going to be extremely low so it's a it's a that fine funny game that fine line and that funny game of like weighing expected ownership salary you know everything we consider and I just think that the upside outweighs the negatives here for those two guys played together from this game uh, yeah that's kind of how I arrived at that but uh, I understand the initial inclination to want to stay away from the spot all right. Let's talk about some good game environments that could produce the, you know, had to have it game stacks or team stacks or, you know, scoring potential. Um, I'll lead this off. The first one for me, obviously, is uh, the Kansas City game. Um, This is a game where I guess going back to that previous discussion too, why I'm a little bit drawn to Waddle and uh, AJ Brown is these teams are playing for literally everything. So like that's another piece of the puzzle for me this week where it's the second to last week of the season. This is really the the most important week of the season for playoff seeding is this week. So looking for those teams that we know can be aggressive, we know could be drawn towards increased aggression via desperation because they are playing for so much. Um, And The other game that kind of jumps out to me other than that Tennessee and Miami game with that in mind is the Kansas City and Cincinnati game. Um, The Chiefs are the front runners for the AFC one seed, uh, which brings in everything from the only buy in the conference to home field advantage through the championship game. 
So they are playing for literally everything. The Bengals are also playing for literally everything because they are two games back from Kansas City. If they beat Kansas City, now they have the head-to-head tiebreak and they can win uh, their last two games and Kansas City could falter and they could still get the one seed. You know, a lot has to go right for them to get that one seed, but um, it is within their realm of possibilities with a game left playing Kansas City. They could also fall all the way back to the five seed in the AFC uh, and potentially get a road matchup in the first round against a team they don't want to play in the first round. So there's a lot going on um, in both conferences, but the AFC in particular, because we have like six teams that are grouped so closely at the top, or I guess four teams that are grouped so closely at the top, and then six teams playing for the final two, uh, or I guess, yeah, you could say the final two or the final three playoff spots. So there's a lot going on. What I mean by that is Kansas City is at 11 to 4, Tennessee's at 10 and 5. So those are the two kind of front runner teams in the AFC. Then you have four teams that are at 9 and 6. You have the Bengals, you have the Bills, you have the Colts, and you have the Patriots, all sitting at 9 and 6. So, and then behind that, you have what? You have four teams that are at 8 and 7 vying for the last couple spots out of the AFC. So the AFC is so closely grouped that there is pretty much an infinite number of potential playoff scenarios that are going to play out over these final two weeks. So I'm really, really looking for the teams that have a ton to play for. Um, And with the Bengals, I guess they couldn't drop only to the fifth seed. They could drop out of the playoffs uh, entirely. So this is like the game of the year for the Bengals. So when I see that, when I see these two teams that have a ton to play for, they have two offenses who are both in the top seven in scoring this season. And we have two defenses who are above average, who, but who have, been, have showed flaws and the capability to be beat. In particular, with the Chiefs, they're on the road. They play better at Arrowhead. In particular, with the Bengals, the Bengals' defense takes away or aims to take away what the Chiefs really don't utilize on offense. Like they're vulnerable against the run. They're vulnerable against uh, running backs through the air. They're vulnerable against tight ends and they're vulnerable against deep passing. That's like the chiefs offense in a nutshell. So a lot is lining up for me personally for this Kansas city chiefs and Bengals game. Um, I personally am going to be looking to be extremely overweight, the Kansas city offense. Um, And that is a nod to one, they're one of the top offenses in this uh, in the league. And two, the variance associated with now the field overreacting to COVID. And we're not expecting ownership on Patrick Mahomes, on Tyreek Hill, who just let a bunch of people down last week, on Travis Kelsey coming back from COVID. Um, so the field now is overreacting to the other side of that spectrum, uh, that risk spectrum, and being overly conservative. And that is a situation that I want to be overweight on. All right. That was a lot. Uh, Mike, I'm going to throw it over to you. What other game environments are you specifically uh, targeting this week? Uh, Well, the Kansas City Cincinnati game is for so many of the reasons you just talked about is like my my top one. Number one, Um, I'm playing. I've got one in the main event on DraftKings and it's going to be built around that similar to I was listening to JM on the angles pod. And um, yeah, it's just so many reasons and and at low ownership it's it's perfect um so i love that spot 
Uh, I also I'm really high on this um, the Ravens uh, Rams game. Um, I think Tyler Huntley being back is, is really interesting. Um, Cooper Cup obviously is is a great play, but I look at uh, I look at the Rams kind of similar to like a more aggressive version of the Packers in that they've got a, a pocket passer. They've got one really dominant kind of alpha receiver. And I look at what they the Ravens tried to do against um, against at Devontae Adams a couple weeks ago. And it wouldn't be surprising if they, they try to do something similar to Cooper Cup. Um, he moves around a lot, so it'll be difficult. But um, I think that opens up a lot of things for Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham. Um, somehow, despite Rodgers and... Uh, Burrow just destroying this Ravens team who keeps losing more players in the secondary. I mean, you know, some of these guys that they're playing are literally learning on the job. Um, and somehow, like, I'm looking at ownership projections, projections and Matthew Stafford is like, you know, he's he's looking pretty low-owned, and, and Beckham and um, Van Jefferson, they're all looking like they're going to be mid to low single digits. Um you know, so that spot's really interesting to me. Uh, and then one guy in that game, Rashad Bateman, um, I think he is a really talented player um, who I think Andrews is going to draw a lot of attention from a very good Rams defense. Um, and Marquise Brown is sick, and with all the stuff going on with COVID, um, I could just see Bateman having a bigger role because he's been practicing and Brown hasn't, and possibly even Brown sits. Um, so that game really really stands out to me. Um, yeah, and then the Chargers, the Chargers Broncos game. Um, I think the Chargers are really really interesting because again they're going kind of overlooked. Um, they're coming off a really bad game, um, but they have a ton to play for. Um, they're getting their guys back who all practiced all week, um, and they're a very aggressive up tempo team. Um, and we've seen, you know, like the, the Bengals-Ravens game when a team that has some aggressive tendencies gets up on a, a division foe who, um, you know, the Chargers lost a tough one to the Broncos earlier this year. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be totally surprised if they kind of kept the foot on the gas there and the Broncos have just been decimated by COVID. So um, those two spots are, are really, really interesting to me. Yeah, let's talk about that Rams uh, Ravens game real quick. We have so much expected ownership coming in on Cooper Cup, obviously, also on Sony Michelle. Um, I want to talk quickly about Michelle in particular. I will have some. I'm going to predicate this discussion on the assumption that I will have some Sony Michelle. But that being said, the running backs are not a big part of the pass game for the Rams. So we can view Sony Michelle as pretty much a yardage and touchdown back. Well, why do I like him more than David Montgomery? Well, he's on a good offense, expected to score a bunch of points. That's fairly easy and fairly evident to discern. That said, with a yardage and touchdown back against a Baltimore team who is extremely pass funnel and is very good against the run, who has their defensive line intact, but has so many missing pieces from the secondary, you know, it makes sense that you know, Matthew Stafford is going to throw the football here. It makes sense that you know they're going to try and find the best way to win because this is, uh, again, a team playing for a whole hell of a lot. 
the Baltimore Ravens are also playing for a whole hell of a lot. They currently find themselves uh, losing the tiebreaker for with Miami for the top spot, uh, or for, sorry, the seventh playoff spot out of the AFC. We have uh, Tennessee playing Miami at the same time, so or um, I guess they play before. Uh, so they're going to have all the motivation in the world to come out here and try and put up points as well. How do we see this game, or I guess what are some possibilities of how this game could play out? We could see everything from a slugfest to the Rams dominating uh, and waxing the Ravens to a back-and-forth affair. And it doesn't have to be like, do we think the Ravens have a chance to win this game to create a back-and-forth affair? No, it has to be like, hey, do we think the Ravens can score three touchdowns here? And that should push the Rams into aggression for the duration of the game. And if the Rams are scoring, or if the Ravens are scoring three touchdowns, where is it likely coming from? Well, we don't know. It's an extremely variant spot, but there is a possibility in my mind of Jalen Ramsey falling around, around Mark Andrews as the uh, you know best option for this Ravens pass game. Why do I think that's a possibility? Because Jalen Ramsey has played 60% of his snaps in slot coverage this year. Where is Mark Andrews playing on the field when he is running routes? He's playing out of the slot. He's not playing a majority of his routes from tight. He's playing them from the slot. And that's particularly the case over the last three weeks where, or I guess the last four weeks, where the Ravens have really opened up their offense uh, uh, aerially because they lead the NFL in overall pass rate over the last four weeks. So all that kind of comes together. It's like, who would benefit if Ramsey's following around Mark Andrews out of the slot? Rashad Bateman. I absolutely love that play this week. He's priced at only 4800 He has played 93% and 81% of the offensive snaps over the last two weeks, completely rendering Sammy Watkins uh, unusable and out of the picture. Um, so Rashad Bateman uh, is likely going to be the best beneficiary uh, if Ramsey is following around Mark Andrews. And again, we don't know. But the combination of low cost, he's 4,800, and low ownership, you know, he's coming in below 5%, is what I want to be targeting. And that is leveraging the variance of the unknowns. Also, on the other side of that game, if we expect um, Stafford to be throwing, if we expect Cup and Sony Michelle to carry all of this ownership, well, like right away without me saying it, you're, you can think it and you know it that. Um, both Odo Beckham Jr. and Van Jefferson are extreme leverage pieces uh, that I will be looking to work in where I can as well. Um, furthermore, they are priced below Sony Michelle at 5.8. Um, I think, let's see, Odo Beckham is 5.7 and Van Jefferson is 5.3. So easy to rework lineups to fit them in over Sony Michelle as leverage. Uh, so I love that call. Uh, love it, love it. Wanted to anchor on that a little bit more. X, we've left you hanging here for 20 minutes. Did you go get some laundry done, dude? Yeah, you know, like took the car from the oil change. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude. All right, so, what like, are you seeing, man? Well, I mean, so my games got stolen. Um, one of the funny things about working in this space and writing content is it comes in through the week, right? And we're matching what we know at the time when we write something. And so when I was writing a lot of the content that I wrote this week, and I'm doing the game write-ups, right? But like the scroll, I mean, 
definitely. Um, I was thinking that the Chiefs, who I thought, I think are, I don't know if they're the best offensive play in, or, this, or, the, or this is the best game to stack, but it's clearly one of them. And I had thought that that game was going to come in at really high ownership. And I don't tend to pay much attention at all to ownership on like Wednesday or Thursday because um, it changes so much. And now here we are on Saturday afternoon, and that game is not projecting for very much ownership at all. Like, let's go dig in really quick to ownership uh, in the Chiefs Bengals game and see what we have. Uh, we have. Darrell Williams at 13.4%. Uh, Joe Mixon about 6%. Tyree Kill, T. Higgins, both about 12 and no one else owned at all at wide receiver. Travis Kelsey at 7%. CJ Uzoma at 10%. Um, so this game is really unowned. And I, so I, you know, when I think about what games I want to target in tournaments, it's not just for me thinking about what teams are going to score a lot of points or, you know, what fantasy players are likely to score a lot of points. I'm trying to blend who is likely to... Where, where's the likelihood to have a good game and where does that overlap with ownership? And so like Cooper Cup is likely to have a good game because he's awesome, um, but he's also super highly owned. And so, you know, when I can get Tyreek Hill at one third, one half to one third the ownership of Cup, uh, in my mind, Cup is a better on paper play with a stronger point projection, um, but Tyreek Hill is a better tournament play for me, uh, for my style of play, because I think that while Cup's floor is higher, their ceilings are very similar, and Tyreek Hill comes at much lower ownership. So anyway, it's a long-winded way of saying, this is now my favorite game to stack, uh, is KC Cincinnati. And, you know, I've got a soft spot for the Bengals. I've been stacking them since last year. Um, I stacked them a bunch early this year when they weren't throwing as much, because um, I thought they were just going to go back to their super pass heavy ways, and they didn't to start the year but now they've come back around um and so like i love the bengals i've stacked them a lot i love the chiefs like you know both concentrated offenses um you know with most of the production going through a fairly small number of guys and there's just kind of a handful of sort of hangers on soaking up a little bit of usage so you know i love the offenses i love the concentration i love the game environment highless point both teams have everything to play for here in the last couple of weeks we have to think about you know motivation and you know We've got teams like the Bills who are projected to score 29 points, which is awesome, but they're also they're more than two touchdown favorites over Atlanta. And when you've got teams that are starting to look ahead toward the playoffs and they're thinking, you know, once this game is locked up, why risk it? You know, why risk why risk a star player getting hurt right before the playoffs? And potentially losing him for the playoffs like that could be devastating do you really want to risk josh allen running a bunch or you know steph Diggs when you're up by three touchdowns at halftime so you know motivations is really important here in these last few weeks um i also love rams at ravens and i have made uh a living the last several weeks targeting the ravens secondary um and i forget who actually kind of coined this but looking at like on OWS, there's there's a lot of write-ups recently talking about like finding two opposing pass funnel defenses playing each other, um, <clears throat> where you can you can bet the productions coming through the air with a pretty high degree of certainty, and we have that here with the Ravens and the Rams. Um, I, I love the secondary pieces on the Rams, Beckham and Jefferson, and maybe a little Higby, but ugh. Um, mostly Jefferson and um and Beckham and Cup he's great uh I love I will say I still love Mark Andrews like I don't know what Mark Andrews has to do to get like respect um in that he has been smashing over and over and over and projects for like two percent ownership and he's the most expensive tight end on the slate and so the question is well is that reasonable um well in fantasy points per game Mark Andrews is tight end number one this year 
Um, in overall fantasy points, Mark Andrews is tight end number one. Uh, in targets, Mark Andrews is tight end number one on the year. In catches, Mark Andrews is tight end number one on the year. I try to keep going. Um, in touchdowns, Mark Andrews is tight end number one on the year. Like Mark Andrews is the, is the tight end number one in every every possible metric. So he should be the most expensive tight end on the slate. And yeah, there's some risk, right? The Rams could uh, stick Jalen Ramsey on him all game, or, or even double cover him all game and just say like, you know, you have to beat us with your not as good weapons. Um, that's possible, right? That could happen. But like Andrews has been smashing. And you know, the, the, the thing with Andrews for years, last couple, well, couple years anyways, not that old, um, for a couple years has been, he's so good. He's so talented. He has so much upside, but his volume is so unpredictable. If only they, if only they would give him more targets. Okay, let me read through his target counts the last few games. 10, 13, 11, 9, 10, 10, 8, 10. That's going back to week 9. Um, like I said, he's he's leading uh, the tight end position in the NFL in targets, uh, in overall targets and targets per game. So he finally is getting the workload that for years fantasy players wished he was getting. Um, and yet, you know, he's, he's the tight end one, and, and yet ownership is not reflecting that. So, you know, he's, I have him projected for about 2% ownership right now. Um, and so like, yeah, there's risk there, but like there's massive upside there too. And like, that is, that's just egregiously low ownership for a player of his ceiling. Um, and that's part of what attracts me to that game. And I, I fully agree with Bateman. I think Bateman is also an awesome bring back play and I'll be wanting to have a lot of him too. Um, uh, but that game environment for me, like both pass funnel defenses, both teams, a lot to play for, um, been picking on the Ravens secondary for weeks now they're they're just awful right now with so many injuries piling up so I love that and I will say normally most weeks uh, earlier in the season I'm okay playing the sort of onslaught team like the Bills um, because you know someone still has to score the points and if the Bills score four touchdowns like cool you're if you get four touchdowns off the guys you put on your roster you're probably doing okay even if they take the fourth quarter off um, but as we get to Toward the end of the season, the onslaught teams, in my perspective, become a little less viable because the on like most of those onslaught teams that are projected to score like 27, 28, 29 points, they're generally playoff teams, right? Like <laughs> if you got an offense that good, you're probably going to the playoffs. Um, and so those teams are more likely to be a little more conservative with their players as we get super close to the playoffs and, and consider resting guys um, when they get way up. The exception I have here is the Bucks, um, because the Bucks are incredibly thin, right? Like they are so thin. Um, you know, Mike Evans may or may not play. And, and, and as Mike mentioned, there's, very little reason to have him play. Um, you've got, you know, Chris Godwin's out. Antonio Brown tweaked his ankle in practice and didn't return to practice. And so he may or may not play. Um, even if he even if he does, it kind of seems like a situation of like, why would they push him? You know, like, again, like this is a without Godwin, he's a pretty critical piece of their offense for the playoffs. Why risk him? Right. Like when you can probably win using, you know, Tyler Johnson and Brashad Perriman. Um, so like the, that team is so, so thin that, that they're a team I'm heavily interested in, uh, even if it, it's going to be a blowout because the guys doing the blowout work are not key playoff cogs. So I don't have to worry as much about them getting rested. Phew. I just I wanted it. to talk for they're... a while because I felt like, I felt like you guys stole, <laughs> like stole the games and I wanted to feel so like, you know, I felt like I had to say something too. You are special X. <laughs> <laughs> there are. You hit on one of them. Uh, I'll wrap this up uh, with respect to 
I'll kind of take a more teams approach. Um, Tampa Bay is something to pay attention to. Uh, I wrote as much in the end around, um, but we could see a an offense that we still expect to score points. They are still fighting for the one seed in the NFC. They need help, uh, but they want to win here. They're playing the Jets, uh, and there's a lot of moving pieces. So uh, what has changed? Well, they got both members of the secondary back who were on the COVID list um, in Jamel uh, Dean and um, Sean Murphy Bunting. Uh, so they got them back. That lowers the expectation um, for the Jets a little bit, uh, but doesn't do much for Tampa Bay's offense, how they should be expecting to approach this game. We could have, like you mentioned, X, we could have a game where Brashad Perriman, uh, who is operating in kind of that downfield role, think um, Antonio Brown, how he was operating with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both playing earlier in the season. That's kind of the role that Brashad Perriman has been filling when he's played. Uh, but he came over and immediately started seeing snaps and then got injured a couple times, hit COVID, all that good stuff. Uh, but they could be uh, running with Brashad Perriman and Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller. Uh, who And then their wide receiver four could be Cyril, whatever his name is, I forgot, uh, from the practice squad. Yeah. So that could be like their pass catching core added to Rob Gronkowski and the other tight ends. So how do we expect them to play this game? Well, I would expect... Um, an increase to 12 personnel. You know, this is a team who runs 11 personnel at an extremely high rate. I'd expect that might increase. I'd expect they're likelier to lean on their run game. The problem is that run game is probably going to be split between two players uh, in Keyshawn Vaughn um, and, uh, yeah, that guy. Jesus. Rojo. I'm losing it. Yeah, Rojo, thanks. I'm losing it, boys. Yeah, Rojo, uh, Rojo chalk, bad shot. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, I'm highly and highly intrigued uh, with Brashad Perriman and Tyler Johnson as the two that would most likely be on the field the most uh, of the wide receivers. Um, and these are both players that can do a lot of damage with more minimal targets. Um, even with, you know, Brady, if he's throwing the ball 30, 32 times, which would be on the lower end of his attempt expectation. Even with that being the case, like they have to throw the ball to somebody and they're not going to give Gronk like 15, 16 targets. That's just not how this offense is built. So those are going to go somewhere. Those two players are the likeliest places to see them go. Where are they priced at? Brashad Perriman is priced at 4.3. Um, and uh, Tyler Johnson is priced at 3.8. So very natural pivots from an expected highly owned Braxton Berrios. Uh, and two guys that can do a lot of damage on minimal targets. So I like those guys a good deal. Uh, the last spot I want to talk about before we jump into a little bit of positional breakdown uh, is this Denver team who is absolutely ravaged by COVID, by injuries. They lost a good chunk of their linebacking core. They lost a good chunk of their defensive line. Their secondary is kind of in shambles as well. So what does that mean for this game environment? Well, we know Denver would like to run the football for as long as they humanly, you know, as long as humanly possible. The problem is, based on the state of their defense, based on them playing on the road, the chances are that they are going to be forced away from that, you know, plan of attack uh, sooner rather than later. You know, what are they playing for? Well, not necessarily much. They are mathematically not eliminated from the playoff picture in the AFC. That being said, they need to win out and they need some help. 
it seems like they are resigned to give up on that uh, with reports coming out that they're going to be utilizing multiple quarterbacks this week. Um, but, you know, oh, sorry, I'm mixing shit up. They are not expected to utilize multiple quarterbacks. They have a backup quarterback coming in. Teddy Bridgewater will not play uh, with his head injury. So my bad on that. That is a different team we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, but yeah, all that kind of comes together to a head where it's like, we know how they want to attack, but there is the possibility that they are not likely to stick to that um, if they get behind here. And they're not going to just keep running um, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon into, uh, you know, into the ground, basically, if they fall behind early. Are they likely to fall behind early? We don't know, but it's a possibility that I will be looking to leverage. With that said, they are down to basically just Cortland Sutton at wide receiver, and then guys like Spencer uh, and Hilton, uh, or Hinton, sorry, whatever, whichever one it is. Uh, so these guys that are like the fifth, sixth, seventh options uh, on their depth chart. And what do we expect? Will we expect Denver to be playing about 30% of 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field. We have Noah Fant, who is an every-down tight end, and we have Alberto, who has come in and has played admirably when needed. Well, I surmise that we might see an even further increase to 12 personnel this week with both Alberto and Fant on the field. Fant is priced at only 4.4, and Alberto, super, super interesting to me, for these like pay up, you know, chief stacks type builds, he comes in at a price of only 3.0. So as opposed to going to Braxton Berrios or to uh, Harris from the Saints, I would guess that like I'm willing to take shots on Alberto as a two tight end build with either Kelsey or um you know, paired with either Kelsey or paired with Andrews or paired with even Gronk uh, as these, you know, because the reasoning is basically he has a higher expected range of outcomes than any of the cheap or men priced wide receivers in that range. And he's priced at 3K, which is the same basically as a men priced wideout. So that's kind of how I'm seeing things with Denver. Uh, super interesting piece that I've been playing around with Alberto uh, into tight end builds this week. Uh, from a macro leverage kind of theory perspective. That's the last I'll talk about on game environments. Any parting shots around the room before we clean up some of these positions? Too tight end, really? What? <laughs> Alberto, bro. Alberto. Alberto. Too tight end does to me. It's the most triggering thing in the world. No, I'm kidding. It's, I mean, two tight ends. I, I, I joke about two tight end a lot, but like, you know. We know that broadly the data says that two tight end is played more often than it hits. That doesn't mean you can never play it. Right? You just have to find the right spots. It's funny you say that because I'm, I'm playing. I've got a couple of bigger tournaments that I'm playing in the, this week, and I actually one of them I was building earlier, and it's currently saved as a uh, a Chiefs Bengals a big game stack, and it's got Alberto and Mike Williams little mini correlation involved. So. Um, let's go baby i love it i love that love it all right boys let's talk about some quarterbacks real quick um i'm gonna go to x just give me the overall macro and then cleaning up the loose ends at quarterback 
Yeah, the macro is like everyone's going to play Trey Lance, right? Trey Lance is 4,800. He's starting. He's starting against Houston, um, projecting probably around 20-ish percent ownership, right? He's at home for the 49ers, a good team, blah, 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 28-point uh, projection for the 49ers. Um, not for Trey Lance specifically, but for the 28 points for the 49ers, but I guess, um, you know, he's a good play. Um, it makes me a little nervous to play a quarterback who has only had one NFL start and who wasn't good in it um, at that kind of ownership. But to be fair, the uh, uh, you know the Texans are not the, I think it was the Cardinals, right? Uh, that he played in his first start. And the Texans are not the Cardinals. Um, even in that Cardinals game, he still got like 15 fantasy points despite the 49ers only scoring one touchdown because he just ran all over the place. Um, he's fine. Like, it's hard for me to play a quarterback at that ownership because 20% is huge ownership for a quarterback. Um, <clears throat> but where I think, where I think, and I think the thing is, I think most people are playing him naked too because we're not seeing a lot of projected ownership on the 49ers receivers. And I think that's the best way to play him, um, to be clear. I think you could try to get cute and say, you know, and play him paired with a receiver, which I think will actually be quite different. Um, but I think he's one of the big decision points. And this is also a slate which doesn't have a lot of super clear value. And I do think there's value out there. Um, but there's not a lot of really, really clear value. And there's two studs that people want to pay up for in Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup, who are both, you know, horrendously expensive. And so, you know, without a lot of position player value, I think you're going to see a lot of rosters that have Trey Lance, one or both of Taylor and Cup, uh, and Berrios is the other value play to make it all fit. So, like, I think just recognize if you're going to play Lance, who is a good play, um, that there's, you know, if you use it to build a roster that looks like what I just described, find some other way to be different or play Lance and then don't play either of Cup or Taylor, right? Like, that'd be another way to be different because most people who are playing Lance are going to use, they want to play him to use his savings to pay for Cup or Taylor. Um, you know, Mahomes at low, Mahomes at relatively modest ownership, uh, Joe Burrow at low ownership, Matthew Stafford at low ownership. Like these guys are the things that my tournament wet dreams are made of, um, as well as rushing quarterbacks, right? Like rushing quarterbacks at low ownership are awesome. Uh, if Trey Lance didn't exist, uh, if Jimmy Garoppolo was starting, um, Taysom Hill would and, and Jalen Hurts would likely have much higher ownership than they do right now but i think the field is kind of flocking to trey lance thinking that, he, that he's essentially a replacement for them but he's not because Taysom hill and jalen hurts are guys who we we know what their ranges of outcomes are and those ranges of outcomes are really really robust so both Taysom Hill, Jalen Hurts, multiple rushing touchdown. Uh, on when they're on slates, so like I will definitely be overweight on Taysom and Jalen Hurts. They're coming in at you know sub ten percent ownership, which I think is pretty shockingly low. 
Um, and I, if I didn't mention Tyler Huntley, who like who helped me win a whole bunch of money, he's my boy. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, I feel like I owe him. Um, like I should buy a jersey or something. So I'll be the only person in the world who owns a Tyler Huntley jersey. Um, but uh, you know, he's got to start somewhere, and uh, I will definitely be playing him. Um, I'm not super interested in the really low-owned quarterbacks. Like, there's a bunch of quarterbacks that they're projecting for like sub two percent ownership. You know, guys like. Russell Wilson, I think you could make an argument for, but like Tua, Tannehill, Wentz, um, Drew Locke, Matt Ryan, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, like those guys are not my my, uh, my cup of tea this week. Um, so like Mike, I'll give you my whole quarterback pool uh, for MME, which is Trey Lance, Dak Prescott, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Taysom Hill, Jalen Hurts, Tyler Huntley, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Tom Brady. That's it. I love it. I will uh, summarize those thoughts uh, surrounding um, surrounding the quarterback situation, particularly with the pay down ability of Trey Lance. Uh, and I kind of answered this a little bit in Discord prior to this in the single entry three max channel. But if I'm playing Trey Lance, and I, I likely will have one or two of my likely five rosters in play this week, we'll have Trey Lance. But I will not have Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor on those rosters because why are people playing Trey Lance? They're playing him to open up the salary to play those guys. So I will be looking for, you know, and I listed them in kind of in the end around. I will be looking for the pay up guys with no ownership that to pair with Trey Lance uh, if I'm playing him. Uh, one guy I will add from my personal player pool, and this is. Uh, part of or goes into some of the discussion we've had already is Justin Herbert. Um, and for all the reasons that we discussed, but basically Denver's defense is annihilated by COVID. Uh, Mike, any loose ends that you're seeing at the quarterback position? Uh, you guys hit it, have touched on most of them. I think Huntley, that, that Rams-Ravens game is interesting. I think the... Um, a huge correlation between quarterbacks we talked about the pass funnels facing each other but also just like offensive interaction and the um the cowboys cardinals game which i wrote up uh Dak and the cowboys are, are projected for a lot of ownership and kyler is a little bit more expensive but he's like see, gonna see like a third or a fourth of the ownership it looks like I think he is super interesting because um, I think everything that they do to try to keep up is going to have to come through him uh, for the most part, especially if James Conner is limited. I mean, there's a lot of risk. The Dallas defense has looked good, but they've also they've beat up on some bad teams. I think they played uh, their last four games where they've looked great and had a lot of primetime games. Um, it was the Saints game with Taysom in his first start and a mallet finger, and then uh, the Redskins twice and the Giants, I believe. Um, so, you know, I think, I just think Kyler is, is one of those, he, he's one of the few guys who could break the slate. Like he could, if, if Dallas is putting up a large enough, if they're scoring, you know, 20, 24 to, to 31 points, um, and Arizona is keeping pace, um, Tyler's also having like a monster game. Um, so I think he is like super interesting um, from the quarterback position. My friend, your mic is uh, vomiting on itself again. All right. I dig it. That'll do it. I think I made him sad. 
Uh, you, is it still? Yeah. All right, let's talk about some running back stuff. Uh, we'll go to X here first to allow Mike some time. Um, from the running back position, part of my love, obviously, for the Kansas City stack, including Darrell Williams. We have CEH, who now has been ruled out. Expect uh, Darrell Williams to step into that 60 to 65% snap rate role. What has Darrell Williams done this season? He has basically seen three or more targets in all but two games that he's seen more than 20% snap rate. So he's a, a heavy contributor through the air. He has a nine-target game already on the season. He's got a six-target game, uh, and he's doing this all on very minimal snaps. So looking at his snap rates, uh, you know, part of I'm just going to anchor down on this one guy here for a minute because I think he's one of the better um, sub-65 uh, 100 running backs on the slate. Um, typically, he is seeing you know 30 to 35 percent snap rate uh, when CEH has played. That has jumped all the way up to 55 to 75 percent without CEH. Uh, and we know that um, Jerick McKinnon was activated um, off the IR to fill CEH's spot. So they have Darrell Williams, they have Jerick McKinnon, and they have Derek Gore. At running back how are those snap rates likeliest to play out well we don't know but i would guess daryl williams is up there in the 60 to 65 percent snap rate range so extremely high upside as part of a game stack extremely high upside as a standalone piece from this offense uh you know playing to the unknown surrounding this offense is tyree killback we don't know if he's not um if travis kelsey is still feeling the lingering effects. We don't know who would be the likeliest player to step into the vacated volume. Probably Darrell Williams and Byron Pringle. So highlighting that a little bit. I love Joe Mixon, part of that same game, for all the reasons that we talked about earlier. Other guys, uh, Sony Michelle, we talked about kind of him ad nauseum. Um, and then the last piece, and this might be another one of my favorite places to go, we'll call it, at uh, running back. And that is the San Francisco backfield. Why is that the case? Well, we have Eli Mitchell, who is either going to be back or he's not. But it doesn't matter to us because we pretty much can say with a high degree of certainty that if he is back, he is likely going to be a borderline workhorse role. Why do I say that? Because that's what has happened uh, from San Francisco with Eli Mitchell in and out of the lineup this season. When he missed the game la uh, earlier this year, he came back and immediately saw 70% and then like 84%, something like that snap rate. So if he is back, I have, with a high degree of certainty, I can say that Eli Mitchell will be the guy for the 49ers in a must-win game. Also, another layer of that, of, of this whole discussion around this backfield, is extreme leverage off of um, an extremely chalky 4,800 quarterback. So how are the giant or the uh, yeah how are the 49ers expected to approach this game? Well, the field is saying with a high degree of certainty uh, that they're going to basically place the game in Trey Lance's hands and allow him to win a must-win game for them. Well, why is the field assuming that with such a high degree of certainty? I would say that it's much more likely that they lean extremely heavily on the run game. 
So what if Eli Mitchell misses? Well, then we have Jeff Wilson at only 5.6, who's expected to see a lion's share of the running back opportunities uh, on the week. Matchup, extreme plus. Certainty regarding workload, extreme plus, I would say, uh, with a higher degree of certainty than the field is saying. So all that kind of comes together. Regardless of uh, who is active, whether it's Eli Mitchell or not, um, I have a heavy interest in this backfield this week. Oh, by the way, suppressed ownership. It's an afternoon game. We have all this working for us with the uncertainty surrounding Eli Mitchell where we're likely to not see a good deal of ownership here. Uh, so those are my favorite spots on the week. X, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, what are you seeing, Breda? Hey, is mine better now? Yes, sir. Much better. All right. I'd change computers, so. Uh-oh, paging Zandamir. <laughs> Son of a... It's like uh, whack-a-mole. You just can't. You can't. Good thing we got three this week. <laughs> oh, Christ. X, your headset is doing exactly what we said it would do. Uh, I'm going to go to Mike. What are you seeing at the running back position, man? Um, real quick, did I know I was scratchy before, but did you guys he- kind of hear my spiel about Kyler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was discernible. It was just kind of a, an ear sore. Sorry about that. Um, the running back position, like when I look at the uh, – the ownership, like when I when I I'm like X, I, I try not to look to like later in the week, but when I look at like the top owned projected guys, like I'm I like it because the, most of the guys are not guys that I'm like super high on. Um, you know, I we talked about Montgomery already. I think that there's a lot of holes in like Ronald Jones, um, Sony Michelle. Obviously, he's a huge touch projection, um, but I think there's enough reasons to be off him um you know josh jacobs is uh i want a low team total uh, michael carter low team total devin singletary is you know a weird workload on a pass first team um so i really like one guy i i didn't hear sorry i didn't hear your talk so if i repeat anything feel free to interrupt uh hilo but um ramondre stevenson's a guy i'm really high on at running back um just looking at the Patriots and, and how we know kind of Belichick operates, um, Damian Harris, he had to pl- he was kind of forced because Ramondre was sick last week. Uh, so he was kind of forced to play that like full-time role, which um, I played a lot of him and, and it did well. But um, he was coming off a hamstring injury. He was limited again in, in practice this week. Um, and I could see, you know, if they if this game goes as expected, I could see a scenario where Harris gets like you know, eight, 10 touches in the first half and the Patriots get up like, you know, 20 to three and, and they just, they just let him rest, let Harris rest the rest of the way. Um, and I think Ramondre is a, a very high touchdown equity guy. Um, and he can bust big plays against a team that's pretty much walking dead. Um, so I'm really high on Ramondre, uh, Darrell Williams, um, or Daryl Williams. I, I really like him. Um, just, surrounded around that Chiefs game. Um, those are, I, I'm really interested in Chase Edmonds. Uh, I think that the James Conner uncertainty is a good thing. Um, when I was building a couple lineups earlier in the week, Edmonds and, and Williams were guys that stood out to me. Um, so Chase Edmonds, 
I think you know I I I would be surprised if Connor has has his full normal role. Even like I would think Edmonds gets a large portion of the workload, and um, that's kind of a a low um, a low ownership uh, way to access uh, the upside of that game. Um, so I'm I'm really high on him, um, and he's any news we get on Connor will come after all those you know. Uh, nine early games lock so again it's it's unlikely he gets really really steamed um so those are those are kind of the guys that i most of my builds have centered around uh to start um but i think there's a lot of easily avoidable chalky running backs which is rare um so that's kind of my take yeah i'm gonna interrupt or jump in real quick i'm gonna bring up a late swappability uh I guess, option for us this week. Because we have two backfields with unknowns going into the late slate, one with San Francisco and Eli Mitchell, and two with the Cardinals um, and James Conner. A very easy way to leverage all of these unknowns uh, is to build a roster or and maybe even a duplicate roster, enter them in contests, built around Eli Mitchell. That leverages the discussion that we had previously, and it gives you some late swappability uh, with respect to these afternoon games. You can move. You can either leave Eli Mitchell in if he does play, or you can swap to either Jeff Wilson, who is at five point six, four hundred dollars cheaper, uh, or Chase Edmonds at five point seven. Should James Conner be ruled out, that gives you a little bit of playability, a little bit of swappability. Um, to leverage the field uh, after this slew of 11 games kicks off from the morning. X, do we got you back, bro? I don't know. Do we? Yes. Hello, yes. Fred. Okay. All right. Sorry. Oh, um, talk to me. Talk to Mike me. Week. Um, okay. So, yeah, this is a weird week because normally, normally chalk running backs are pretty, pretty robust plays. And, and it feels to me like this week the chalk running backs are... There's... There's holes I can knock in all of them. Um, you know, Dave Montgomery is the highest owned player on the slate in, in the lowest total game of the week in a bad offense. Uh, Sonny Michelle is the second highest owned running back. Workload, awesome, but going up against one of the league's premier pass funnel defenses. Ronald Jones only played like, what, 52% of the snaps last week, I think. Um, and Keyshawn Vaughn yep. actually played a bunch. So, you know, like these these guys... You know, could any of them hit? Of course, right? Like, that's how football works. Um, Like, Ronald Jones did get 23 opportunities. So, like, despite the low snap count, like, he was being used a lot. But, like, how many times have we seen Ronald Jones' chalk week go south if he fumbles early on or makes a pass-blocking mistake early on and then Brady throws a temper tantrum and demands that Ronald Jones be benched and he vanishes and we never see him again? Like, we've seen that several times over the last year and a half half so all of those plays like if if those guys were all low owned i would say sure i'd take some shots on them but as the three highest in running back plays the week that just feels fragile to me um we also have josh jacobs at super high ownership i mean this is a guy who i don't think he's has he even hit 20 DraftKings points this year he might have a little bit but like i'm some receiving he hasn't hit 100 yards rushing this year um michael carter at high ownership like as a jet good grief um so like devin singletary i think is a good play if Zach Moss were to be inactive, right? When Devin Singletary's had his larger workloads and larger games, it's come when the Bills have, not, have had Zach Moss inactive. 
So if that's, I don't expect that to be the case this week, but if it is, um, I think that Singletary is fine. Um, I don't think he's like an amazing smash play, but he's, he's, a, he's in play. Um, my favorite running back plays of the week. My favorite running back play of the week is Joe Mixon uh, because he provides, he, he fits so nicely into the game stack uh, of the chiefs, which is the team that I want to be, have the most exposure to. And he is the Bengals best way to attack back. Uh, it's, it's not impossible but hard to see the Bengals keeping pace in this game without Joe Mixon having a good game. Um, Elijah Mitchell, I love his workload is awesome. The match load is the matchup is awesome. Uh, DeAndre Swift, I think, is a great play coming back from injury. Like DeAndre Swift was just smashing the league before he got hurt, right? Like I think he had one like he had one really shitty week when Jamal Williams was out and he was massive chalk, but other than that like he had some big games he had some great games and a lot of pass game usage right like i think he's an awesome play uh i think austin eckler is a really strong play he's one of the few running backs in the slate who has like a legitimate 30 plus point ceiling and yet no one seems to want to play him um alvin Kamara, i think is kind of similar i wouldn't play him with Taysom hill uh but you know if the touchdowns don't go to Taysom, then the odds are they're going to Kamara, right this is going to be a run heavy game plan from the saints and so we could see Kamara get in the end zone multiple times very easily uh what else I, i'm with i'm i love the chase Edmonds call if connor is out if connor is in uh i think he's still playable to mike's point like connor might just not play a lot um and who else was sorry i'm looking for the list uh rashad penny if if Alex Collins, I think Alex Collins has to miss to make this viable. But if Alex Collins misses again, then you've got you know a, a large home favorite running back uh, in Penny who should see at least 16, 17 carries. He's a yardage and touchdown back, uh, right? He's not going to have a lot of pass game work, so his floor is kind of scary. Um, but as he showed last week, his ceiling is pretty robust. And Seattle. Um, inexplicably despite having one of the best quarterbacks in the league continues to want to be a run heavy team even though it hasn't been working for them but they just keep banging their heads in the wall so i think penny's a viable uh play and he also kind of fits with that elijah mitchell weight swap strategy too you could you could have uh, mitchell or penny in there and or you could swap to penny if you have the extra hundred um you know i uh it's if Again, if Collins is out, if you have if you have uh, Mitchell and a hundred, or you could start with Penny to make sure you have the salary for him, and then if Collins is in, you swap to Mitchell. It's like there's there's a lot of late swap running back uh, equity on this slate, which allows you to swap based on um, both you know the, the activity status of other of other guys, and or you know how you're doing, um, you know where you where you are in the standings. So it's a weird week when like I feel like almost all the chalk running backs are bad, which is strange. Um, Jonathan Taylor's great. Can I ask you guys a question about someone? Absolutely yeah. Not. What do you guys What do you guys think about Boston Scott if Jordan Howard is out? Yes. I was going to clean up this portion um, with that discussion. There's actually <laughs> three situations um, that I think need to be talked about, and I think it's because we've gotten a lot of questions about it. Um, the first one is kind of funny, but it's Daria Gunbowale, uh, who should <laughs> no. have the who should have the backfield to himself in Jacksonville? My answer is no. I agree. Um, the Patriots are likely <laughs> to just rejected for 12 points. <laughs> yeah, it's, dude. it's in his name. It's like, you know, in school, the dare program, just say no. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I get it. I get the play. We look for workload, but this, like this offense is so bad. I, I, it's not for me. I understand it, yep. but not for me. That cleans up that, uh, 
the other are, is the two running games in Philly and Washington. So that same game. Yeah. Philadelphia went out and signed, I believe, on Johnson, uh, which is an indicator to me that Jordan Howard is not going to go this week. Um, Miles Sanders is always already out. So we have Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell left of the running backs for Philly. Kenneth Gainwell is likely to serve as the change of pace and third down guy. Boston Scott is likely to serve as the early down grinder. So that brings both of them into play, uh, playing on a team expected to score 24 and a half points. So over three touchdowns, um, MME only, but they are priced at only 5K for Gainwell and only 4.9 for Scott. So worthy of consideration for my MME bros out there. The other side of that game is Antonio Gibson has already been ruled out. JD McKissick remains on IR. So the backfield work for Washington is expected to be between Jarrett Patterson uh, and Jonathan Williams. Welcome back to the league, bro. Uh, So that is... Uh, an interesting spot to kind of pick through. This is the team, Washington football team, who is has not mathematically been eliminated from playoff contention, but they are seemingly mailing it in, saying that they expect both Kyle Allen and Ta- uh, Taylor Heineke to see work at quarterback this week. That, to me, screams, hey, we are going to check out what we got for the future, assess, uh, and see where we're going to invest some draft capital this offseason because both these guys are young. Both these guys uh, could be relative filler pieces if they want to try and give them a shot for next year. Uh, So they are assessing they're in full assess mode. In my opinion, that makes me less interested in Washington football team as a whole. So ipso facto makes me less interested in either Patterson or Jonathan Williams. What say you boys? Yeah, for me, like if I wasn't if I wasn't going to play David Montgomery, uh, who has a really solid workload uh, on a 20 point total team, I don't know why I would want to play a running back with an uncertain workload on a 20 point total team. Um, That's the Washington side. Uh, I feel more confident in Scott. The the team is better. Uh, You know, the 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 touchdown equity, I think, is lower because you've got Jalen Hurts in there like. I don't know. I'm okay with Boston Scott. I I think, I guess the the thing I always come back to is like, how many times has a Philly running back put up a tournament worthy score in the last season and a half or in any game that Jalen Hurts has started? Um, And the answer is, I don't know if it's never, but it's certainly not often. I'd have to go dig through logs to find out if it's never. I think we might've seen one or two. so, you know, Hertz is just such a threat to vulture touchdowns as well as rushing yardage that and the matchup is not as good. Uh, you know, Washington's more of a pass funnel. I mean, Hertz Hertz's presence opens up some running opportunity. So it kind of when you have a running quarterback, it, it kind of increases it makes the matchup better for your running backs as well. You have two running threats on the field at all times. Um so I'm okay with Scott. We've also seen Scott get some passing work in the past. Like Jarrett Patterson, I don't know what his workload's gonna be. You know, last week Jonathan Williams it was out snapped him, but uh, they were also down by a billion. So, you know, I think he's probably the starter and kind of main two down back, but I don't know for sure. But like that just on a, on a team with a 20 point total and with so many other good running backs in the slate, that feels like a situation that's more risk than I personally want to take. Any yeah. additions, Mike? 
I would I'd agree on the Washington side just seems thin to to chase a, a team in that situation. Um I do I, I do have some I don't know how much I'll end on him because I really like Ramondre who's in a similar price range kind of, but uh Boston Scott, I think he So like I look at it this way and this is where like the macro um like understanding the team situations and stuff is you know uh Sanders and Howard are out like it's short term stuff. Scott is like the clear like third back in that role and Gainwell kind of has his own role. And I actually on the Hurts thing, I could see like if Washington is the team we saw last Sunday and rolls over. Um I mean if you're Philadelphia, are you really running Jalen Hurts through the line a ton? Are you going to put him at risk um you know of injury? with another, like, they have to win both games. They have to win next week, too. And then they're obviously going to need him in the playoffs. So um, just from the standpoint of, like, Scott is, is um, if you're going to give somebody a pounding and, and let them um, get hit at the goal line a bunch, um, or if you're up and, and you're having to, to run the clock out, it seems like he would be a guy who who could fit that role and who could... Um, you know, I, I agree in general on what X said about the um, Philly running backs never really being a spot where, like, somebody puts up a score where you had to have it. But, like, it wouldn't shock me if he has 102 touchdowns tomorrow just because, like, why put Hurts through that pounding? That's a lot of touchdowns. All right, boys. Let's, uh, we got to speed things along a little bit. Um, we're going to jump over to wide receiver. I'm going to let you guys just finish up the position because I kind of gave my macro thoughts uh, on it earlier. X, we'll go to you first. Um, any loose ends at the wide receiver position? Yeah, okay. So, like, I love the Rams receivers. Um, the ownership discrepancy between Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson, and Cooper Cup is egregious. Cup is awesome. Um, but the other two are also very strong plays to me. Um, I love the, I don't love the Bengals receivers as much like Higgins has done me very well, but, um, the perimeter receivers are shakier plays in this matchup. And, but I love Boyd, um, Tyree kill is amazing. Uh, and I, I, I kind of still want to play Byron Pringle because he didn't want me much money last week. Um, but what we've seen from the Chiefs is that Byron, they really use Byron Pringle as Tyree kills direct backup. I mean, they'll, he'll still be on the field no matter what. Um, and he has been playing more as they've kind of shied away from Michael Hardman and Demarcus Robinson. Um, so I might play a smidge of him. What else? Uh, there's not a lot that I've... Hunter Renfro could have another one of his, like, 10, you know, 12-catch, 100-yard games here um, against a Colts defense that is good on the perimeter, good against the run, but somewhat, but vulnerable in the middle of the field where Renfro operates. Like, this could be one of his his super high-volume games. Um Ugh, Tyree Kill is probably my favorite receiver playing this. I'm trying to go quick here because we're just we're we're kind of smashed on time. Um, I will happily play the Dallas receivers. Uh, Amari Cooper is my favorite one of them, but they're all I think in play. Uh, oh God, what else? Sorry, I'm just trying to like I'm trying to go fast. Um, I would play. I will want to be over the field on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who are projected at very very low ownership. Um, I don't want to like stack that game up, but like I will definitely those. When you look at receivers who have you know really significant upside, uh, Lockett especially has more like of the slate breaking upside. Uh, I definitely want to be overweight overweight on him. Uh, I personally view Brandon Cooks as terrible chalk. 
Uh, Cortland Sutton is terrifying chalk. To me. He's not hugely chalky, but he's projected for like low to mid teens. Um, that is terrifying chalk to me. I'm just trying to hit on these plays. Uh, DJ Moore scares me with Sam Darnold, uh, but he's a really talented receiver. Has a lot of upside. He's coming. I probably try to be about even the field at him. He's about 15 percent ish. Um, Antonio Brown is a play that honestly scares me. And again, like I don't try to be a doctor, um, but like he did hurt his ankle badly enough in practice that he didn't return to practice. And now he's questionable and now he's going to be massively owned. Um, you know, if he's fully healthy, he could be a smash play, but like this also feels like the kind of spot where like, as we're getting close to the playoffs, uh, you have to think about motivations and there's the bucks. It's like, well, why push him? With Godwin out for the year, you're going to need Brown in the playoffs. And if he just injured his ankle significantly enough that he had to leave practice and not return, like, do you really push him here? Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, like, appears to be the real deal. And he's finally catching some ownership, but, like, the matchup is still really favorable for him, and he's still getting just a ton of volume. Um, so I will, I will definitely have some of him. I think that basically wraps it up. I'll say there's not a lot of value wide receivers this week, which is interesting. I'm not on Zay Jones. Um, like Braxton Berrios is under 4k, but like if you look at the 4k and under range, it is incredibly thin. Like you could take a shot on one of the Denver guys, but like, ugh, to me, that's not, I don't really like them. Um, it is thin in the value streets uh, this week. So I'm probably not going to try and like dumpster dive down there and try to find any, like try to find the random value guy who goes off. Um, But if I were the one guy I would highlight is Antoine Wesley, who has actually been playing quite a bit. Uh, He plays for the Cardinals. If you didn't know who he was, I didn't know who he was at the start of the year. Um, He's been playing quite a bit as sort of the direct replacement um, on the field for DeAndre Hopkins. And that's resulted in a couple of good outcomes for him. Let me go dig up the game logs really quick. He's not like some amazing smash play, but if you're really hung, if you're really trying to find, uh, you know, a really cheap receiver who's likely to be on the field a fair bit, um, you know, Wesley had four targets last week. He had eight targets the week before. I guess it's okay. I'm trying to give you something here. Values thin this week at wide receiver. So, you know, don't latch onto this as like Zandemir said that Wesley was such an awesome play. Um, but if you're if you're really determined to play like a sub 4K wide receiver, if you need one to make it fit, um, he'd be one of the ones I'd be interested in. But like, it is rough this week at the sub 4K range. Yep, that's about all I have to say at wide receiver. Bucks wide receivers could fit that bill, oh, uh, depending yeah. on what happens. Sorry. Uh, right. No. Yep. Tyler Johnson at 3.8. You have uh, Brashad Perryman at 4.3. You have Scotty Miller at 3.5, and then maybe even Cyril Grayson at 3.3, depending on who is active. I gotta know. I have a very large prop bet on Brashad Perriman to score fewer than three point five touchdowns on the season, um, and he's at one. <laughs> he's at one. Now, now I'm terrified. All right, I'm playing one hundred percent Perriman, and he's gonna go for three touchdowns this week. Got it. Thanks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any loose ends, Mike? Um, a couple, just a couple guys. I I like uh, Mike Williams. I think he. He got everyone's expectations up and then kind of let everyone down. Uh, The Broncos are missing a bunch of guys in in the front seven and Bryce Callahan. I think Herbert's going to have all day to throw downfield. And I think with Jared Cook and Donald Parham both out, it looks like Steven Anderson will be pretty pretty, uh, chalky or popular as a min-price tight end. But um, I could see 
Uh, Williams getting more of those like red zone end zone looks, um, and at six K, he's pretty interesting. Um, I also like uh, Christian Kirk a lot uh, in that Arizona game. He's been seeing double digit targets. Um, Michael Gallup on the other side of it is the cheapest and possibly lowest owned Cowboy receiver. Um, and then uh, in the KC Cincy game, I'm pretty high on Tyreek uh, and Tyler Boyd. Uh, um, I think KC's perimeter cornerbacks are pretty good. Um, and if KC has to throw, or since he has to throw a lot, uh, Boyd in the slot underneath makes sense. Um, and then Cortland Sutton was was pretty lights out uh, when Jerry Judy was was out and then kind of disappeared once Judy came back. Um, so with uh, some Chargers de- uh, defensive backs still being out or coming back just now off uh, COVID, um, I could see Sutton with get get it, if he gets up eight ten targets at forty five hundred being really interesting. I dig it, boys. Tight end. Uh, we'll let Mike just continue talking. Uh, how you seeing? Real quick, we're gonna try and keep this under five minutes. Yep. Uh, I just mentioned him, Steven Anderson. I think him and Mike Williams. I like playing together with Herbert. Um, Albert Alberto uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah, um, boy. Foster Moreau. I think he's been touched on in a lot of content this week. I, I think he'll see a lot of targets for cheap. Um. I think George Kittle is an interesting play with Trey Lance, um, specifically on FanDuel. I think it's a little pricey on DraftKings, but um, on FanDuel, that that could be an interesting way to get Lance in your lineup. Um, Kittle didn't play in Lance's first game, um, and Kittle's been pretty complimentary of him, uh, of Lance, talking about how he's been practicing recently. So uh, there could be some connection there and a little bit of a leap of faith, but um, just an interesting angle I'm kind of seeing. Um, otherwise, you know, any anyone besides those guys would be somebody that's correlated somewhere else in the lineup. Zandamia. Yeah. Um, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey. Like when the when we have these slates where there are multiple really elite tight ends on the slate, like you know, the, the like Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, um, even Goddard, Gronk, Pitts, like the re- like when you have a whole bunch of the the really elite tight ends, it's really hard for me personally to want to play like the the cheap value guys who you hope you're going to get eight, ten, twelve points from, because you know if you're only having to fade a big game from like one or two elite tight ends, then playing a cheap guy, sure. If you have to fade like six elite tight ends, the odds of them all failing are pretty low, and so I'd rather try to be overweight on the on all of the elite guys uh, and hope that I get, you know, that one or more of them puts up a 25 plus point game and all the dudes playing Steven Anderson are like, yeah, I got nine points. And it's like, that's cool. Kelsey got me 30. So you're in the dust. Um, so like I love, I've, you know, Kelsey at like 7% ownership, George Kittle. Like I talked about how I'm not huge on the San Francisco passing game, but George Kittle at 3% ownership is just egregiously low. Mark Andrews at 2% ownership Gronk at 4% ownership or so. Like why is everyone going to Antonio Brown? Uh, Antonio Brown is projecting for almost 10 times the ownership of Rob Gronkowski. And yet they're the two healthy pass catchers, quote unquote, for of the starting guys for the bucks. Like why is ownership not a little more even between them? You'd think. 
think. I would think it's because Antonio Brown had a big game last week and Gronk didn't. Well, now Bron- now Brown's dinged up. But even if Brown wasn't dinged up, it could just be variants, right? Like these things swing back and forth. So, like, definitely want to be overweight on Gronk, um, Goddard, um, and then the one, the one, like, I'm not interested in Steven Anderson unless I was doing a game stack. Like, I, I don't generally play the punt tight ends unless they're in really good spots, unless I'm doing the game stack of that game. So, like, I'll, I might play a little Uzoma in my stacks of that game. I might play some Steven Anderson if I end up playing Justin Herbert uh, in some in some lineups. Um, but the one cheap tight end that I like uh, is Foster Moreau because he fits that Hunter Renfro model of, you know, Renfro and Moreau are the two guys who are going to be running in the middle of the field all day both playing, you know, the majority of the snaps, uh, and that's the soft spot of the Colts defense. So, you know, I think I think it's highly likely that one of Renfro or Moreau has a really solid game. Um, and so, like, he's the one cheap tight end that I want a lot of exposure to. I love it, man. I will end this discussion on tight end with two pieces, uh, the first of which is... Oh, God. Uh, Zach Ertz has seen 24 targets over the last two games. Oh. Yes. Um, so he is in consideration for me. We've already seen ceiling games out of him. Um, he is a guy I will play uh, as a you know single tight end build. The other piece, the final piece that I'll mention is I'm only playing Alberto or Foster Moreau on two tight end builds. And that's for the very specific reason that they have the chance of outscoring all sub 4K wide receivers. Uh, so that, that is the only reason why I am interested in two tight end builds this week. They will both be played on two tight end builds if I play them and they will both be paired with either Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, most likely for me personally. Uh, that is, I think all I got to say, all I got to say about that. Uh, all right, let's finish it up with a defense and then we'll open it up real quickly for any questions that have rolled in that we have not covered. Um, I'll take first swing at defense. Um, a couple of my favorite defenses this week are, I think, going largely overlooked by the field. Come kickoff, uh, Patriots at 3.9 against a Jacksonville team that has is trying to like set the NFL record for players missing uh, in one contest. Uh, the other, uh, for a very similar reason, is the Chicago Bears. Uh, both of these teams are home favorites. Both of these teams are playing... Um, either shit quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks. Both of these teams are playing offenses that turn the ball over a ton. And the Bears, particularly, playing a Giants team who, again, are attempting to set the NFL record for missing players in a single contest. Um, Between Jacksonville and the uh, Giants, I think there's like 38 players currently on the COVID list. And then you look at the uh, pass-catching core for each of those teams is absolutely decimated as well. All right, over to UX. Uh, there are seven different defenses projected for eight or eight point five DraftKings points or more this week, which is extremely unusual. Those defenses are the Bears, Patriots, Saints, Bills, Seahawks, 49ers, and Bucks. Of those seven defenses, the first five Bears, Patriots, Saints, Bills, Seahawks are all projected around 10 to 15% ownership. The last two, the 49ers and Bucks, are projected for 2 to 3% ownership. Guess which ones I want to be over- overweight on? 
oh my god, I just looked at ownership and I was like, yeah, these two defenses aren't going to be owned, and they're the two highest owned defenses. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> my that's my defensive player pool right there is those seven, right? Like I don't feel the need to dumpster dive to try and get like a you know two point five k defense or whatever that can put up seven points. Like those those five, like there are so many just atrociously bad teams on this slate that one of these defenses of these seven is going to ha- is it's highly highly likely to have a you know 15 to 20 fantasy point game um and so it's like why similar to the expensive tight ends like why do i want to play the cheap play that i'm hoping gets me 7 points uh when i could play the expense the the premium play that gets that has a really good chance of getting me 20 plus it's worth noting here DraftKings, and i don't i think this is intentional on their part i think they're doing i think this is a you know they they're noticing how players are playing like the last few weeks, there has not been a 2K defense or a 2100 defense. Like the low end of the defensive pricing range is coming up a little bit, which kind of it lowers the attractiveness of the punt defense play because the ceiling at defense is still around 4K to 4,500. Like Patriots are 3,900, Bucks are 4,300, um, Bucks are the only one 4K or above. So, you know, we're seeing the, the pricing at defense on DraftKings is kind of condensing a little bit. And so that op- that that makes the expensive defenses appealing. And I've been doing this like all season, and we've been talking about this on the show all season about paying up for defense and stop punting de- defense, hoping for five points. Um, you know, we've been talking about this all year, and now it seems like if you look at the pricing structure on DraftKings, they're adjusting. And if you look at ownership, the field is adjusting. The top five, the top five highest on defenses on the slate are all 3,200 or higher. Um, but like, there's those two, San Francisco and Tampa Bay. And, and I, to be clear, I think they're probably two of the weaker ones of those seven top defenses with Seattle being also in that bucket. Um, I think that Chicago, New England, New Orleans, and Buffalo are the strongest of those seven, but like the difference is pretty minuscule. And if you tell me, you know, defense, the highest variant position, if you tell me I can get a defense that projects about the same uh, as another defense and I can get it for one quarter of the ownership, that's the one I want to be overweight on. So I'm really, I'm, I want to be overweight on San Francisco and Tampa, especially. Um, but I want to, but those, those seven are my pool. I'm pretty much in lockstep with UX. I just think that there's going to be one of those teams. You know, there's probably going to be multiple of those teams that score over 15 points. And, um, you know, it, there's, and then the teams that are at the bottom are, so so low probability to to have a high score um yeah i'm pretty much everything you just said ditto all right boys it looks like um aaron had to get out of here but um i'm not seeing any questions that were not covered uh are you guys back me up there no i've been kind of watching the chat so yeah and i kind of answered a couple little ones in chat but i think we're okay someone has three running backs yeah 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 this is another week where i personally am more inclined to not only allow but seek it out where it makes sense because there's no real certainty at the position behind like jonathan taylor um and the other piece of that is where the field is exhibiting, you know, certainty. They are in highly uncertain spots. So we have Dave Montgomery and Sony Michelle. They have the certainty of the workload, uh, but we've talked about the pitfalls of that. Same with Ronald Jones, but in opposite, 
He's got the not playing heavy snap rates, but he's seeing the workload. But there's all this like, uh, you know, if the if the uh, Bucks get up big, are they going to keep Jones out there? They're just going to run Keyshawn Vaughn for the rest of the game. Like there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, there are the running backs that I like more than the field seems to. Uh, we talked about a lot of those guys. Um, Want to anchor on Joe Mixon, on Daryl Williams, on DeAndre Swift, on the Cardinals running back situation. Those are the spots where I would be looking to fold into three running back builds um, because they are that is leveraging the variance and the field certainty at the position. Um, that's my thoughts. That's my take on it. I'm not forcing it, but I'm more on the accepting to forcing side of three running back builds this week because the position is so uncertain and I want to leverage that boys. How you feel? Hungry. Yeah. Let's go get some dinner boys. I'm I'm in agreement. I think there's, (laughs) you laid it out pretty well and I'm also hungry. (laughs) All right. Yeah. OWS fam, that's going to do it for week 17. Mike, it was a pleasure having you on this week, man. We will look to do this more often. Um, That said, fam, we will see you at the top of the leaderboards, and I will leave you with the parting shot to embrace the variance this week. Good luck this week, guys. We'll see you in, in Discord the rest of the night and tomorrow morning. Have a good night, guys. Thank you.